Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are listening to Canadian Gothic, a series by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners. A few weeks back, Madeleine Klein and I presented a collection of Canadian inmate dating profiles. And, well, I heard from a lot of listeners who were shocked that this kind of service is provided to inmates and that these profiles are being hosted on the internet. Well, to them, I say duct tape your laptop shut and smash your phone. The internet is nuts, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. Now, I also heard from a lot of listeners who, well, for lack of a better word, enjoyed the prior inmate dating profiles episode. And to them, I say buckle up. In this episode, by popular demand, Madeleine Klein and I will unpack yet another collection of Canadian inmate dating profiles. And in this episode, we're going to focus on inmates who have been categorized as dangerous offenders. So let's not waste any time. Let's get into it. Ms. Madeleine Klein, we're back. We're not doing creeps tonight. We're doing, oh wait. A branch of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a subgenre. We're really stretching out and trying new things. You know us. <laughs> Madeline, how are you? What's new? Uh, I'm good. Mm, not much is new. Same old. Mm. I was thinking about it today. Did I have anything to tell you? Well, here, I'll make it easy for you. I noticed behind you it says spaghetti squash. So you got a big baby brewing in there. Kind of, yeah. I was just looking at myself today. Actually, I changed my shirt because I put on a tank top and I was like, I look like a house. <laughs> so I, I changed my shirt. Oh, well. I'm, you know, I've, I've just, I've never been lar- large before. So it's just weird to see myself like this. Um, so let's just maybe, I'm going to put you on the spot here. We talked last night about something we're going to do, I think, on your YouTube channel that's a little different than what we've done before. You want to just announce it, and that way we'll have to do it? Yeah. So we're going to do, I we haven't discussed logistics yet, but we're going to do either like a watch along or an after show for American Horror Story Delicate, mm-hmm. which is going to be amazing for so many reasons. Uh, first, I love American Horror Story, and it's ugh, it's just so fabulously written, in my opinion. Plus, Kim Kardashian is in it, and I absolutely adore her and the rest of her family. Really? I do. <laughs> How So many people are yelling at their phones right now. That's correct, and I don't care. Okay. Because, yep. And I could, we could use this whole episode as to why I love the okay. Kardashians. Well, let's just say that they call her no shame Madeline, and maybe it's because of her interest in the Kardashians. That's definitely part of it. <laughs> um, okay, enough about you on that note. Good God, let's move on. Uh, we're here to talk about Canadian inmate dating profiles. This time we're trying something different. The last time we did this, we just took, you know, three or four of them at random that were especially juicy and salacious. But uh, I think we challenged ourselves with something different this week. In this episode, we're talking about dangerous offenders. And, um, and that's kind of a special class of offender. I think it 
other countries have something similar, but here in Canada, a dangerous offender for anyone unfamiliar is a special designation that's given to someone convicted or that can be given to someone convicted of a serious personal injury offense. But not only that, it has to meet several conditions. I'm just going to rattle them off and to get a sense of the type of people. So after you've been convicted of, of a crime before you're sentenced, the crown or the prosecutors can apply to make you a dangerous offender, provided it's a serious personal injury offense, meaning injury to someone, not like a robbery or fraud or something. Um, they can apply for this if these conditions are met. So the criminal must have a pattern of repetitive behavior that shows a failure to restrain their behavior, which is likely to cause physical or severe psychological harm to others. There must be a pattern of persistent aggressive behavior that shows a substantial degree of indifference to the consequences and the brutal nature of the offense compels the conclusion that the offender is unlikely to be inhibited by normal standards of behavioral restraint. So those three conditions have to be met or in the case of a sexual assault, the offender has shown a failure to control their sexual impulses such that harm to others is likely. So basically, the type of people that get labeled a dangerous offender is someone who has done it and will continue to do it regardless of consequences they cannot control themselves be it a sexual offender or just you know a, a violent maniac basically with no ability to stop themselves despite understanding the consequences and like they they don't just dole these sentences out like if you're classified as a dangerous offender you're you're a bad dude yeah or, or like for example paul bernardo is a dangerous offender mm -hmm. and I, i'm pretty sure that didn't even need to go through like a channel of people they were like oh yeah no he's he meets the criteria we don't even have to open the book mm -hmm. but he would be one where he was convicted of several many sexual assaults brutal in nature a pattern of it over and over again, obviously unable to control himself. Even after the cops were turned on to Paul Bernardo, he still continued doing his crimes. Um, to get a sense of the amount of dangerous offenders, uh, between 2019 and 2020, in Canada, there were 874 dangerous offenders. 85% uh, of them were in custody and 15% of them going through a conditional release. So they were out of prison, but under you know strict orders and whatnot um not all dangerous offenders can get out of prison that's a kind of a, a a unique aspect of it when you're labeled a dangerous offender there's different sentencing options that the courts have uh, basically a dangerous offender can get an indeterminate sentence basically you're in prison until we say so so in canada you get a life sentence that's that means 25 years but if you're a dangerous offender like paul bernardo you can, you know, you can rot in there until you die for indefinitely, as well as a dangerous offender. Um, when they get out of prison, they still maintain the label of a dangerous offender and they go through a sort of um, long term supervision order, which can be up to 10 years where it's kind of like a strict probation or something. And if you commit a crime, you know, you're right back in. So it's uh, it's pretty intense. It's you know, there's a lot of criticism that I and you and I think everyone else has of the Canadian justice justice system. But I think one thing that they do get right is the way a dangerous offender is handled when they've been labeled a dangerous offender.
Oh, totally. I was just going to say that we've, we've got a lot of warranted grievances against the Canadian justice system. Uh, but yeah, they, they do the dangerous offender thing, right? 15% are out on conditional release. That's not a bad number. No, certainly yeah. not. Um, but that all said, so we get, we get how serious a dangerous offender is uh, and can be um, and the type of people that these can be here in Canada. But that doesn't prevent them from seeking romance, love, companionship on the internet, much like everyone else seems to in this day and age. And that's what brings us to this series, Want to Date a Prison Inmate. You have the option to date a dangerous offender. When we browse Canadian Inmates Connect, the website that uh, connects uh, current Canadian inmates with the general public um, through these dating profiles, we found a whole bunch of dangerous offenders on there. But tell me about your experience seeking them. Because when you, when you go through the dating profiles, it'll say how long they're in prison, what they're convicted for. I, I kind of had to scroll a bit to find the dangerous offenders for this episode. I found a few, but tell me about your experience with it. I found page five is like riddled with them. <laughs> I don't know what it is about page five. Not um, all of them, but lots of, yeah, indeterminate sentences. And that's what I would just kind of peruse the the selection, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then when I when I found one that said indeterminate sentence, I knew right away that that was a dangerous offender because that's in Canada. That's all that means. Life life in prison is only 25 years. Mm-hmm. So and then, yeah, so I looked at I looked at a few of them and it just it shocked me that not only are these men searching for companionship, whatever, I'm I'm sure women write them. Mm, and yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they do. But you, what what shocked me about it was, like you, I found a whole bunch of them on there with an indeterminate sentence. Um, I would then take the name and Google it, looking for news articles about you know what horrible thing they did to be labeled a dangerous offender. And I was surprised how many I found that I could not find a single news article referencing these people, one of which there was one guy in there I saw who had been in prison since the 70s, labeled a dangerous offender. I could find like nothing about this guy. And I'm like, this this fellow's been in prison in Canada longer than, you know, I've been alive. Oh, my. Yeah, I found one guy um, convicted of child sex crimes and even right on his profile, he's like, I'm in here because of a bad decision. <laughs> like and I'm the, like, the yeah. worst decision. Uh, yeah. And so I looked him up and I couldn't find anything. Nothing. I was just like, you'd think a dangerous offender. There's only, there's less than a thousand of them. Yeah. You'd think that would be not only big news, but it should be public knowledge. But there is not like a dangerous offenders list that's available. Hmm. Kind of su- surprising, but I guess... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why would why there would be, but at the same, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Given how low of a number, I would have thought when I found one that at least their hometown paper or province, you know, You'd like think. cbc.com slash Alberta would be talking about, you know, the yeah. three that they have or whatever. Actually, I'm sure Alberta has way more than three. Well, and in the states, if you are classified as as a sex sex offender, and that could mean just exposing yourself in public. Um, you're put on a list that's public and you're never taken off. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah. yeah, I don't know why we don't do that. I think there's I've actually I think someone presented me with a petition once asking me to share it where it was a petition to make the like sex abuse registry public here in Canada like it is in the US. I, I well, remember that's... there was discussion about it once upon I'd want to know if someone lived near me that was on that list. Well, absolutely. It's it's kind of like um, like Claire's law. Claire's law is the opportunity or ability to go to the RCMP or police station and get you um, like somebody you're seeing significant other their criminal history to see oh. if they have domestic violence charges or sexual assault charges. So that's for but, people like who don't have Facebook because you you can't join like the Facebook groups like uh, what pretty was much that? Nanaimo. Remember in the last creep oh. uh, encounters with creeps was like Nanaimo creep watchers or something, something like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm I follow a group on Facebook called Are We Dating the Same Guy? And that's oh, wow. kind of the same type deal. Yeah. Um, so I guess but, if you don't if, if, if you have Claire's Law, if you're not a member of one of those groups that you can turn to. But unfortunately, Claire's Law is only implemented in Saskatchewan, Alberta, and Newfoundland. And even more unfortunately, even if you're on one of those groups, not everyone's charged officially. That's true, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Interesting. Uh, let's get into it here. We have three, uh, should we call them bachelors? Eligible bachelors. <laughs> let's just call them Canadian inmates. Okay, we have, I like that. That's, or, no, that's a little better. <laughs> sorry, dangerous offenders. We have three dangerous offenders to highlight uh, for the listening audience tonight. Not because we think you should date them. We don't even think you should consider it. Uh, but we want you to know what they did and what they had and and how they present themselves in the context of a dating profile. It's such a weird context to view a, uh, a dangerous offender. Say what you want, but like if I were inclined to write an inmate, like I could forgive drug charges or like grand theft auto charges, you know, mm. that's that's uh, you can rehabilitate that. Mm -hmm. But like murderers and dangerous offenders and rapists, mm. why would you choose to write one of those people? Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a but. real tough sell. Yeah, exactly. And, and when you only got like two paragraphs in your dating profile to like explain away, you know, the dangerous offender classification and the charges of, you know, child sex, all this stuff. Um, yeah, it's a tough sell, but you know, there, there's people out there. There's people out there who is willing to pitch it and we're going to hear about them. Why don't you start? I know you you found a few. I found a couple baffling ones oh, yeah. that I just, and the more I looked into them, it was just, it kept getting worse and worse. So we're gonna start off with the worst one, in my opinion, just due to the series of events that goes on. So we are going to cover 56-year-old Nick Passioni, mm. and he is a dangerous offender. Um, a serial sex offender. Yes, a serial sex offender. So he didn't, to my knowledge, kill anyone, but he continued to sexually assault people. So his entire history is just baffling and disturbing. He started prostituting himself out to men at the age of 14. So mm. I couldn't really find much more on his childhood, but it couldn't have been great. Mm -hmm. Um and then in his early teens, he was he began acts of voyeurism, 
voyeurism and exhibitionism. Voyeur, mm. Voyeurism's like peeping on people without their knowledge, watching them undress, engage in sexual activities without them knowing. And then exhibitionism is exposing yourself or behaving sexually in public. Mm. So... In 1990, at just 23 years old, he was linked to six sexual assaults on, I didn't even know this, I didn't know Montreal had a West Island, but it's called Dollar Day Ormo. Hmm. But that, that's where this all took place. His victims it, range- It sounds like an island in Zellers, the Dollar Day Ormo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. I would have never made that connection. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Um. So his victims ranged from as young as 10 to 22, and he always threatened them with a weapon, knife, pistol, whichever. His youngest victim, the 10-year-old, he sexually assaulted in her own home after he broke in. And for all of these six assaults, he only got four years in prison. So, and, you know, the good old Canadian justice system, you know, on TikTok, someone said it's not a justice system, it's a legal system. Yeah. And I really true. liked that. I was mm. like, that's, yep. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so he was, in 1992, he was, uh, he got day parole for whatever reason. And in August of 92, while out on said day parole, he committed yet another armed sexual assault. And at this time, he was in therapy for sex offenders. Yeah, because the way so our, our that system- wasn't working. Yeah, the way our system would normally work and the what we criticize them for is, you know, you, you get out and way too early, uh, you get your long leash back, you get this kind of therapy that's somewhere between voluntary and mandatory. Uh, so he would have been going through that, probably living in a halfway house or something and went right yeah. back at it. So thankfully, his sentence was extended three years for this attack. So that's a total of seven years. Um, and then so when the end of his sentence was approaching, the head of a, like a clinic for sex offenders warned the court that Passione would reoffend as soon as he was released. <laughs> okay, that's not good. So that, right? that's like the electrician saying, like, don't even plug anything in. There's going to be sparks flying out of this thing. Exactly. Yeah. And this is why the dangerous offender classification is so important because had he been a dangerous offender then they could have said okay perfect we won't let him out mm -hmm. but in late 1997 his sentence comes to an end and he's released but he's placed under video or police surveillance for okay. one month and he doesn't waste any time because during this one month he visits peep shows which i didn't even know were a thing in canada i know they're a thing in europe but what a peep show would be like going in a place where you pay to like look through a hole and see someone undressing or something that's kind of like that's, a yeah it seems like a, a complicated strip club that's right i've mm -hmm. seen i've only like mind you i haven't been a ton of places but there were some in amsterdam which i guess isn't that surprising but like in in montreal the west island of montreal if there's whatever. anywhere in canada that's gonna have something freaky like that it's gonna be montreal that's true it's yeah. truly the vegas of canada yeah Anyway, so at one point during this one month, he was approached by two officers when they noticed he was following two young girls. Mm. They stopped him, searched him, and in this search, they found in the bag he was carrying a pornographic magazine and a knife. Okay. So that's not good. Because of this incident, he signed a peace bond 
putting certain ki- I, I don't know <laughs> it's just like a, it's like a kids in the know. hall uh, they the kids in the hall had this like <laughs> sketch about cops this is yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> but i guess that's the shitty thing about our our legal system is like i guess it's not illegal to carry around porn and knives i know it's just but when you think of it in context it's like come on well right but he wasn't a dangerous offender yet. Yeah. So, yeah, he signs a peace bond putting certain conditions on his movements, whatever the hell that means. And how, how they convinced him to sign this peace bond is beyond me. Mm-hmm. But regardless, he quickly violated said peace bond. He broke into the apartment of a woman he knew and assaulted her when she arrived home. Okay. So that was enough to put him back in prison, which is great. And on August 30th, 2000, he was officially declared a dangerous offender. Um, During this hearing, a psychologist described him as the most dangerous case he had seen among the 400 inmates he evaluated. Okay. So, but, but I think like hearing that whole list of, of crimes, this gives a sense of what you got to do to get on the dangerous offender list. You have to like, you got to make a case for it yourself, but reoffend on day parole. Yeah. And then immediately after release. Yeah. And just have sketchy stuff on you and just make it like a slam dunk. But he got himself on there. And is that is that the end of it for this guy? No, unfortunately not. Oh. Somehow he continues to be one of the world's worst people from inside of jail. Okay. So between 2001 and 2002, so just like a year after he was declared a dangerous offender, it was found he was in correspondence with a man named Angelo Colalilo, who I've also never heard of. Okay. But this man, also from Quebec, is a serial rapist, murderer, and arsonist. So they would exchange these like twisted letters detailing sexual assaults and murders. Wow. So he's in prison, able to send letters to another awful person. It's That's shocking. Well, and we later find out that the the prison inmates, their mail is opened, but not read. They just want to make sure no, like, pornographic material is being passed through. Mm. So they open the, the letter and they don't read for the content. Yeah. They just, they just make sure that there's no extras and they send it on through. Okay, yeah. Is there drugs or a file in here? Right. Yeah, okay. Which I hope that's changed. I hope they read everything now, probably due to this guy. Well, you you would think now, like without a human reading it, there could be some kind of like process where it's like scanned and, you know, looked at by computer or something. And like, yeah, certain buzzwords are flagged or something. Yeah. I I doubt it. I doubt it. Oh, I I highly doubt it as well. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So these two predators are exchanging twisted letters so the, these letters would eventually lead investigators to determine deaths previously believed to be accidents as the responsibility of Cola Lilo. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So he, so they, they basically they're exchanging like the text equivalent of snuff films. Yes. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it's pretty crazy. And oh, but wait, that's not the end. There's more. Okay. So the letters they exchanged were violent in nature, encouraging each other into, you know, sexual deviancy. And then at one point, it was found that a female probation officer from Quebec, Marlene Chalfon, 
was also in correspondence with both of these men. What? A woman in law enforcement was corresponding with these two very dangerous predators. Okay. I I guess years ago she had placed some sort of ad in a newspaper that Passioni responded to. I don't know anything about this ad, what it was about, but they had been in contact for like seven years or something crazy like that. Um, so the subject matters of these letters was obviously insane, just like between Passioni and Colalilo. But Marlene, she would go as far as to suggest and offer up her own relatives and her relatives' children to Colalilo to assault and murder. But he's in prison. Colalilo was not. Oh, sorry. Point. Yes. Okay. Passioni okay. was, and but unfortunately, Colalilo was a free man. Okay. And then, so between Passioni and Colalilo, Passioni like bragged about his correspondence with this Marlene and even at one point referred to her as their own little Carla. Oh. Re referring to Carla Homoka. Oh. So man. he like m manipulated and encouraged her to. <sighs> yeah. yeah. But this can't go on forever. If they're in prison, if he's in prison sending these letters, do they eventually like, how, how do we know about this happening? They finally open a letter from pa uh, from Colalilo to Passioni, and there was pornographic material inside of it. Okay. I believe involving a child. That's what I read. Okay. So right away, this little demonic triangle of correspondence was flagged, and they started monitoring the letters. And that's when they finally realized, like, what the hell was going on. Jesus, could you imagine what? You know, at that point, if you come into the, we should read this mail. Right? Yeah. Like, it, we're talking about a dangerous offender here. Maybe, you know what? Don't even read all of the inmates' letters. Maybe just the dangerous offenders. Yeah, at, least, at a minimum. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So get this. So this all came to an end in 2002. Thankfully, the, um, the correspondence between the two men wasn't long. Mm -hmm. But in 2002, Marlene Shalfone was charged with conspiring with Passioni and Colalilo to commit sexual assault, and but she was acquitted in 2003. Okay. Uh, her defense was that she believed the exchanges with Passioni were only fictional and only encouraged his sadistic fantasies, which was fine because he's a dangerous offender and not getting out anyway. Okay. I was like, that's your... Uh, well, whatever. I guess money talks. She got a good lawyer. <laughs> yeah, she must have. But God. yeah, that, that that doesn't surprise me. I mean, you can get away with anything in this country. And she was in law enforcement, so I think that really helped. They yeah. can they people in law enforcement also tend to get away with a lot. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so she was acquitted in two thousand three, and pretty much went off the grid. I couldn't find anything about her in the last twenty years. She may have changed her name. There's no one by that name on Facebook. I checked. Uh, <laughs> and she'd be 56 at this okay. point in time. So, yeah, who who knows what she's doing? Okay. Um, Lilo was also arrested in 2002 after yet another sexual assault. And when they searched his apartment, they found documents, including the letters between him and Passioni. 
Um, and then linked him to the murder of a 14 year old, the rape and murder of a 14 year old. So that's how he ended up thankfully in jail. And he actually killed himself. Oh in my God. Yeah, in January of 2006, days before his trial was supposed to start. Oh, okay. The coward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he overdosed on medication, went into a coma, and died in ICU three days later. Wow. Which, I mean, mm, oh well. Um, but Nick Passione, if that's the right pronunciation, Nick Passione, he's alive and well, in prison, a dangerous oh, offender, is. looking for love. Yes, he is. Should I read his? Oh my God! Um, you told the story. Let me give you a rest. Let me read his dating profile. I'm too excited. Okay. It's, so, it's so unhinged. Uh, is it 56 year old Nick Passione? He's in a prison in Quebec, convicted of sex motivated crimes with an expected release date of unknown because it's an indeterminate sentence. He's interested in corresponding with men and women or women, men or women, and I guess he can't be picky given his background. Here's what he has to say about himself. Hi there. I'm a recovering sex addict with a love for literature and poetry, a passionate sense of social justice and a talent, brace yourself, for making ice melt by exposing it to nothing but heat. Ugh. I'm 5'11", 195 pounds, fit, healthy, studious, honest, a little shy, handsome in an ugly sort of way an aspiring writer slash poet. I'm drug free and I have been since 98. I'm young looking for my age. Haves include regret and remorse, an inquisitive mind, green eyes, light brown hair with a hint of gray, poor drawing skills, secondary diploma slash some university, both acquired inside, a self-deprecating sense of humor, a growing interest in Buddhism, I have no tattoos. I have an ear finely attuned to the still sad music of humanity. My likes include exercising, chess, good movies and music, and good books, libraries, humor, kindness, compassion, Leonard Cohen, and civic and social engagement. Oh my God, this guy just goes on. I'm going to keep going here. He likes nature, academic journal articles, critical social cultural perspectives, including feminist and intersectionality theory. I like Montreal, where I was born and raised. I like snuggling, and I like ice cream. My dislikes, the triumph of spectacle, dogmatism, apathy, pseudoscience, and quackery. He dislikes drone strikes. Though I'd love to hear from women, I'm open to anybody, regardless of ethnicity, class, gender, disability, or sexual orientation. Interested in me as a curiosity, a pen pal, a potential friend, or whatever? Ask and write anything you like. I'm open-minded, non-judgmental, and trustworthy. Counsel slash moral support regarding my sex addiction, addiction recovery is definitely welcome. Just, but, I want to note that for anyone listening, Jordan can read. That's how it's <laughs> written. Like yeah. he's reading it verbatim. Yeah. Actually, and, I skipped a couple parts because I was like, it's just like, okay, you just listen random shit crap he uh that's um <laughs> that strikes me as someone who thinks they're way better with words than they are absolutely uh noted feminist thinker nick passioni <laughs> like, yeah exactly uh <laughs> aside from his background that would turn me off that seems like reading that 
dating profile, if we want to call it that, that strikes me as someone you would like show up at a date with for, and they would just talk your ears off about themselves to the point where you're just drowning in your own drink. Like, oh my God, kill me with this guy going on and on about the poetry he writes and the amazing things he's interested in. You can tell he's one of those people that is always talking but never really says anything. Mm, yeah. It's, yeah, it's just, and it's. We all know one. Yeah. And it's, it's going in every, every which way, every direction. He's, yeah, it's just, this dating profile is absolutely unhinged. Yeah. Uh, he does, I wouldn't say justify, but he at least explains his um, incarceration by saying I'm a recovering sex addict. Um, mm. Do you buy it? I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm not an sex, expert sex, in it, but I feel like that no. gets thrown around a lot. Totally. And like sex sex addiction, yeah, it's real. But most of the, you know, reading and things I know about sex addicts is um their sex is consensual. Mm. And not assaults. Yeah, I'm like a sex assault addict is what he should right. say. Uh cuz it's a mix like a sex addiction is one thing, but he also has like impulse control issue lack of like i guess empathy for others to be able to do that sort of stuff it's like to other sadistic people. yeah but then again as you said since he's his childhood clearly wasn't like ours he was seems like a child prostitute sex trafficking victim from like 14 years old who knows what got him in that situation i have a That's feeling true. if a someone had his um, background spread out in front of them on the table maybe it would answer some questions about what leads to someone ending up in a situation that they're a dangerous offender with that background writing that kind of rambling nonsensical dating profile and canada inmates connect absolutely not an excuse just an explanation yeah that's a good way to put it yeah <laughs> Let me take you for a ride here. A ride called The Story of Keith McPhail, the Child Abuse Vigilante. And this one's a roller coaster because the story I'm going to tell you about the profile I found that sunk its teeth into me, it's um, it involves two dangerous offenders and it's crazy. So although the person we're going to be profiling is named Keith, I'm going to start with a whole different person altogether and tell you the story of Selva Subaya. Uh, he is someone who there's been documentaries about this person, a, a book written about him, I believe, articles written about him all over from all over the world. Um, he's a high profile criminal, but I have never heard of him until I stumbled upon this story today. And I think the reason for that is he was largely, and his crimes were largely overshadowed by Paul Bernardo and Carla Homoka. He was arrested and busted right around the same time as them. So it's, you know, his, he didn't get the coverage they did back then for that reason. But let me tell you a bit about him. So Selva Subaya arrived to Canada to attend university in 1980. During his time in Canada, during the time in Canada where he was a free man, he obsessively lured women, lured women to his home using a variety of schemes. 
He'd pose as a modeling scout or a movie talent agency. He was publishing ads offering to sell exotic pets, posing as a lawyer, posing as a diplomat, and posing as a dance instructor or dancer, both. Once And, and the whole point of it was to get himself alone with women. At the point that he was, he'd offer them a beverage that was drugged. Once the drug took effect, he would rape them and take photos of said sexual assaults while they were unconscious. Uh, his, crime his crime spree seemed to start not long after he arrived at Canada, but it ended in 1991 when police captured him. Uh, upon capture, of course, they searched his home and they found, and this will give you a sense of kind of the gravity and the, uh, just how much, of, how much crime he committed. They found a black book that had the names of over 170 women each woman had a little section where he was rating them from zero to 10, which also calls back to our last creep encounters thing. Remember I told you the nines and tens guy that I met in Toronto. That's exactly what I just thought about. That, when I read this, I was like, Whoa, it's the same guy. I can't be. Um, but anyway, this guy had the 170 Selva Subaya had the 170 women rated from zero to 10. However, he had hundreds of other women identified uh, who were identified as possible victims based on photos and journals that they found. So he had kind of like a library to his own, you know, series of crimes, photos, rating the women, all this stuff. Um, he ended up getting convicted of 19 counts of sexual assault, 28 counts of administering a drug or nauseous substance, 10 counts of assault, and a whole bunch of other charges, the youngest of which of his victims, 14 at the time, so women down to children. Now, although he was only charged in 30 cases, like of all those charges, they stemmed to 30 separate victims. Um, police made it clear and investigators made it clear. They expect his true number of victims to be approaching, if not exceeding a thousand. It was just simply he agreed to plead guilty to these specific ones that they had, you know, undeniable proof of. So that's where they, they ended it. Um, so he gets he gets convicted. He goes to prison. Uh, much like the Nick Caccione or whatever it was you just told us about, uh, with Selva Sabaya, not much changed when he appeared, or, or not much changed after he got into prison. Uh, seven years later, after arriving in prison, he was found to be running a series of cons to have women send him nude photographs of themselves and gifts while he was, you know, sending it to his prison cell and his wife who stayed with him on the outside, she was, you know, in on this whole thing, helping him. So that's, I, I don't know how he was able to talk her into this, but his, his victims described him as a smooth talker. I don't know where to start either how he got this material through mm -hmm. or the fact that he got and kept a wife. Mm-hmm. That um, he also brutally, physically abused with violence as well. So I don't know how she managed to, or why she just, or how she justified herself staying with him, but she did. Um, I'll give, I'll tell you a bit more about him, and then we'll get to our dating profile. So uh, I, he was in prison since about '91. In 2014, he applied for parole. It was denied. The parole board described him as having superficial remorse and a need for control and a need for self-gratification. They described him having a high potential to reoffend. They said, one of the quotes is, he has no feelings, no compassion. All we can do is warehouse him. 
He's a prolific psychopath who should be kept behind bars for the rest of his life. That was what one of the people on the board said. Um, so he's in prison. He At this point, he's not labeled a dangerous offender, but he was, I think he was like one class below it, which allowed him to have uh, like probably a max security or something. But anyway, he made it in the news again during his time in prison more recently. And that was, well, the headline is notorious serial rapist beaten in jail after crimes become public loses lawsuit against Ottawa. So he gets beaten in prison. And as a result, he tries to sue you know, the government of Canada. I'm just going to read you a, sh a short excerpt of this article, and that'll introduce the person who we're actually going to be talking about. So here's this article. A notorious serial rapist from Toronto has lost a lawsuit against the Correctional Services of Canada after claiming he was beaten up because fellow prisoners learned about his crimes. In the early summer of 2009, two inmates in a segregation wing of the Kingston Penitentiary propped open a door and assaulted Selva Sabaya as he was delivering cleaning supplies. The beating was violent, but not medically serious. Sabaya was treated at hospital for bruises and six superficial wounds, had a CAT scan, was received Tylenol 3, was told to eat soft food for three days, and was back in prison, was back in his prison bunk that same night. Subaya claimed the attack happened because the CSC, the Correctional Services of Canada, gave documentation about his recent parole denial to a crime reporter who posted it online three months before this attack. In the lawsuit, Subaya's argument was that Correctional Services Canada allowed the parole report to be posted online, thus exposing himself and his wife to danger. In refuting his claim, the, uh, the courts cited that a prison security intelligence officer who testified at uh, who testified that his crimes were well known in the general inmate population it also notes inmates didn't have access to the internet so they couldn't have seen that article but they did have access to newspapers and television including a documentary that was made about sabaya's crimes to support his own testimony sabaya called as a witness a fellow inmate who testified he had no memory of anything beyond the last eight months because in his words on the stand he fried his brain with LSD teenager to cope with suicidal thoughts. The ruling explicitly gave his evidence no weight. Sabaya sought a total of $50,000 and sought a finding of a charter violation for breach of privacy and negligence, but instead he was on the hook for the government's legal costs. <laughs> Cue laugh track. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Talk me through that. A lot just happened there. First, his witness... I'm sure the court was like, what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> mm -hmm. Why is this guy here? <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he sued like in, in parole documents, parole denial or approval documents. That's all in the public record. Anyway, the court, the, whoever that reporter is, he could have just got it. Like, it's not like that's this private document. There, no. there could be publication bans, you know, naming victims and this sort of thing, but it's not like it was a secret. And it's then, not like him, he himself was protected under anything, nor yeah, should he be. Exactly. So, and then it was, you know, a couple people, two people, by the sounds of it, beat him up really, eh, not really bad. They, I like that in the, the, the court ruling, they kind of uh, made light of his injuries. Like he got Tylenol threes and, you know, he had to he eat soft foods. Like he, it sounds like he got punched in the face a couple times. Probably a few times. Yeah. yeah. But uh, how satisfying. Could have been worse. 
Yeah, it should have been worse. Uh, I'll let you say that. Um, <laughs> but that's what brings us to the star of the story. I called this segment the story of Keith McPhail, the child abuse vigilante. That's who we're going to talk about. Keith McPhail was one of the two fellas who beat up Sabaya, which led to Sabaya suing the government unsuccessfully. Keith McPhail is is it's kind of strange. I've been I haven't been able to find much about his crime or what originally got him into prison, but the the he is currently on the dangerous offender list in Canada and he's in prison on an indefinite sentence and his the crimes that made him a dangerous offender is numerous institutional assaults on child predators so they call this guy the the child abuse or child sex assault vigilante he's basically in prison labeled a dangerous offender because he's beaten up people like Sabaya so many times in prison he has a, a posting on Canadian Inmates Connect where he talks about what he's done. But I, I've like I would be I'm surprised that there isn't articles about this guy. His story I think is fascinating, uh, but it's also mysterious because I in searching him trying to find articles about him I couldn't. The only thing I could find was a video he seems to have posted online it's credited to his name and it shows him doing something uh the name of the video is like how to hotbox a child rapist and it's a video shot within the prison it at least it appears to be and it shows him walking up to a cell and he lights a fire like in kind of the hallway but like half in the cell i guess just to put smoke in the cell and he, he lights a big bunch of stuff on fire and he's just standing there and you see a guard kind of walk up and the guards just watch him when he's doing gives him a minute or so before the guard comes over puts out the fire and like kind of like takes him down it, it appears to be shot as like um security footage in a prison and as far as i could tell the videos like legit which amazing why is it out there <laughs> Right. Well, and I'm just, I'm confused because we can't find why he was originally in prison. Mm -hmm. I can only assume that it was a minor charge, drugs, whatever. But you know, if you, if you commit more illegal activity in jail, in you're going to get a longer sentence. Yeah. And, and when you look at the conditions that can make you a dangerous offender, it needs to be this repetitive thing that you yes. can't stop despite knowing the consequences. It seems like this guy has chosen, I'm going to stay in prison here and get the sex, the child predators. Uh, let's but get like, in. Free this man. Like clear, clearly, clearly, someone know. on the board doesn't like him because I need to, yeah, I need to know more before whatever. I call for freeing him. But that's true. <laughs> let, let's listen to his dating profile. Okay, so this is how Keith McPhail, the vigilante, describes himself. So first of all, he's in prison in Quebec. He's he's convicted of. And it says designated a dangerous offender for numerous institutional assaults and child predators. His expected release is indeterminate sentence, so never. Uh, and he's interested in corresponding with women. So here's his profile. Actually, maybe you, uh, since I read the one for the story you told, if you have it in front of you, you want to read it? I do. Okay. Let's go for it. So it's it's got a title. It's like the only profile that's got a title and it's titled a lifer's profile. 
And it reads, serving a life sentence has come with a lot of obstacles. Time itself is the real punishment. As the calendar days pass, all those most important to all those most important to you will fall weak to this lifestyle. I've lost so much in my I've lost so much in the last 20 years. I've been able to remain humble and still today my biggest weakness is my kindness. Mm-hmm. Living in a concrete jungle, I've had to defend myself with severe violence. I've never really fit in. I'm a bit of a loner. I'd rather play Nintendo or write letters than play sports. I think that I'm a gentleman with honest intentions. The last seven years, I've excelled. I've completed all my programs and stayed with the with a positive lifestyle. I'm now allowed to stand in front of a parole board every two years. I'm a curious man who enjoys that connection with a female. A little flirty can be fun. I'm very playful and value doing the little things. I've learned to cook decent food. I'd love to show you my new skills in the kitchen. I look forward to spending time cooking. I just need that smile while I finish the dishes. Mm. I'm a bit of a clean freak, so relax. I like to smell clean with a Kodak moment. What does that mean? Yeah, I read that one a few times. I like to smell clean with a Kodak moment. You you know what I think? Oh, you know what? In the context of his last few sentences, he says, uh, I look forward to spending time cooking. And here's how I think here's what he's trying to say. I just need that smile when I finish the dish di- when I finish the dishes. I'm a bit of a clean freak, so relax. I like to smell I like to smell clean with that Kodak with a Kodak moment, but I think what he's saying is while you smile at me, I want to smell the clean kitchen. Okay. So he's going to cook for you. And then while he's cleaning the dishes and the kitchen's clean, He's going to look over at you smiling at him and he's going to smell like, I don't know, the lemon from whatever he cleaned the countertops with. The bleach. I don't know. <laughs> it worded funny. Anyway. It is. Yeah. Go on. Um, I'm confused and lost as of today about release plans. I need some guidance or support. Parole will be a challenge, but those who know me would say that I'd never give up on the opportunity. Halfway house, next step. I have my own money and pay my own way. The great pleasure in life is doing what people say you cannot. Pleasure is the only thing to live for. Nothing ages like happiness. If you put judgment aside and send a note to my address, I will always respond. If you need more info, you can Google me. Keith Angelo McPhail. I'll tell you, though, you can Google him. You're not going to find anything. Yeah, maybe that's why he put it. Yeah. (laughs) You can see the court sentence, my crimes are done from empathy. Like Peter Parker, I enjoy being a villain when needed. Sometimes you have to use a demon to fight the devil with these predators, is how I used to believe. Stay safe. That's pretty heavy, eh? Uh, yeah. You know, I said to free this man. This is a little... How do I put this? Unhinged unhinged uh, it's it, giving uh, it's giving psychopath. me yeah it's giving me um american psycho that movie yes it's a bit it's got a bit of that he sounds unlike the first guy we read he does sound articulate and even somewhat eloquent at some points of it but sometimes grammar but I just, could do some work yeah i just think like whatever it is he's doing it's obviously to his own peril and i think he needs to just not be doing what he's doing i guess i don't i don't know yeah. i don't know what i think of this guy there's something that has led to him be like i'm going to go in prison and be a vigilante and just stay in there forever and, and i don't I think that see, a sane person does that 
Right. And now I can see why he was classified as a dangerous offender, because it sounds like he's like, yeah, and I'll keep doing it. Like I, this is, I'm doing it out of empathy and you know, I'm, I'm only targeting the bad guys. So sometimes violence is needed. And he's been doing this since before the show Dexter. I may, I may add. Oh, I probably, Mm -hmm. I, I assumed that Yeah. maybe Dexter is loosely based off him. Mm. That's could be, well, I don't know. They ever would have found out. I had never heard of this guy and you would think the story of this dangerous offender vigilante child abuse vigilante that'd be something people who are into canadian crime stories would know about i had not heard of it until i came upon that profile and i'm like you know what a weird profile what did this guy do and then i found him mentioned in the selva sabaya documents um so yeah the only reason he is really mentioned on the internet is because one of the many people he beat up in prison was a higher profile uh, sexual assaulter um well and it's it's not like he kills anyone he just he just assaults them that sounds weird saying who but knows like, though maybe maybe he has killed people it's it's maybe. there's very little online like i said i i i was even using the internet wayback machine which allows you to find old articles that aren't on the internet anymore i couldn't even find anything with that like nothing bizarre. About this guy. yeah it it is totally bizarre but well and people love when predators especially get what's coming to them mm-hmm. so i'm surprised his other assaults haven't been more noted in the media yeah just because for the media it would be like for it'd be click not clickbait but it'd be just like click farming if you did an yeah. article about you know the canadian child abuse vigilante who's been in prison for 40 years you know it'd be like six pages in mclean's magazine or something it'd be people would read right. that yeah, I it this just boggles me. And I know you can't fight evil with evil, mm-hmm. but like I've always said, like eye for an eye, man. If mm-hmm. if you are especially a child predator, whatever happens to you that's bad, mm-hmm. I you're karma's gonna you're bitch. gonna have a hard time getting sympathy from me. Yeah, karma's a bitch. So. That's uh, a lot of people say that, and there's a good reason because it is. Yeah, exactly. And Taylor Swift so. sings about it even. Oh, well, then it must be true. (laughs) I guess Taylor Swift supports this kind of activity. I guess that's what that means. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Let's go on to our our last uh, dangerous offender bachelor. God, this guy is also unhinged. Well, this is a night of unhinged guys looking to get letters from you. We're we're talking about dangerous offenders. Yes, you asked for it. So the story of Kevin Cole from Niagara, Ontario. So his crime that led to being declared a dangerous offender happened on September 15th, 2015. But he has a super lengthy criminal record that stems back to the 90s, which many of these men do. Yeah, which you have to to become a dangerous offender. Right. You, don't, you don't do one thing and become one. Yeah, otherwise they'd be doling out these sentences left and right. Mm-hmm. So in September of 2015... Kevin Cole entered a Canadian tire um, to shoot up drugs. He was going to use the washroom to do so. On his way to the washroom, he came across a 19-year-old female employee and lured her into the washroom under the guise that he needed help with something. Oh, shoot. He forced her in, locked the door, 
and brutally sexually assaulted her for like over 20 minutes. And all of this while he was threatening her with a syringe full of drugs. Oh, my God. You know what? I would rather a maniac drug addict kind of person. I would rather them shoot me than right? poke me with a syringe. The idea of that is so horrifying. That a, a horrifying event just turned somehow more horrifying. Yeah. Because you don't know a, what's in there. Yeah. Imagine if like this is so bad that you, as you're describing him luring an employee of Canadian Tire into the bathroom, sexually assaulting her for 20 minutes. I'm, I'm like, I'm disgusted. And then it's like and threatening her with a drug filled syringe. It's like, what? Like, how can you make that sentence worse? And that's the only way how the next yeah. would be like showing her photos of her deceased parents. You know, yeah, so, like, exactly. What else? Could it be? Um, Poor okay. girl. Yeah. So he flees the scene and just after 8 p.m. that same evening, he broke into a woman's house who also works at that Canadian tire. What? Yeah. So I don't like I don't know for sure, but he had to have known her. Hmm. So he breaks into this woman's house and she comes down from putting her kids to bed and finds him just standing in her living room. And she was like, oh, my God. So she could tell he was on drugs and just told him to get out. So I, I guess he did. He just left without incident, I, I'm gathering. But at this point, she didn't know about the assault that had just happened at her place of work until someone came to her house, knocked on the door and said, like, this just happened at your work. I want to make sure you're not working. So right away, she's freaked out and she assumes that he went there originally to find her which makes sense mm -hmm. he came to her house right after so after she finds this information out she immediately calls the police luckily somehow kevin cole is still in her backyard at the time she calls police he ends up stealing her bike and fled that scene but was arrested thankfully very shortly after and so so that was the crime that led him that officially declared him as a dangerous okay. offender with good reason. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the syringe just freaks me yeah, out. Yeah, it's like the movie it's like something from the movie Saw or something. It's just that right? Yeah. Well, and you and like at the his poor victim at the time, she didn't know if it was drugs, if it was battery acid. Like we don't we don't know what was in that syringe. Even if she, it was nothing in it. Even if she's like I poked yeah. myself with this first, I'd still be Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. It's not only what's in it, but like where that needle has been before. Yeah, Ugh. certainly. So his very violent history includes sexual assault. He was convicted of sexual assault in 2002 or in 2001, excuse me. And then in 2002, he was sentenced to five years in prison after pleading guilty to two gas station robberies, one of which he broke the clerk's jaw by punching him in the face. And he punched him so hard that the man needed surgery and he had to have three teeth removed. Mm. So, yeah, that was a, an assault. Mm -hmm. And then in November of 2006, he was arrested and charged for criminal harassment after confronting a 40-year-old woman who was out training, out for a run training for a marathon. Mm. Not really any more details on that, but like criminal harassment. He didn't just say hello. Yeah. 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 So all of this horrible behavior has been blamed on his drug use. He says, you know, this, this is the reason I am the way I am. 
And then his dad tried to blame a head injury he received playing football in 2009. Hmm. But all these crimes happened before 2000, or many of these crimes happened before 2009. So mm-hmm. we're kind of grasping at straws here. Mm-hmm. Um, that reminds he, us. Uh, that reminds me of uh, we did this the episode about the murder of Catherine Campbell. Uh, the the man accused Chris Garnier. A part of his defense was he had PTSD from accidentally killing her. And he, yeah. this, that was the case where he, he, his defense was it was rough sex gone wrong, which led to her being killed. He put her in a compost bin and wheeled her in, you know, downtown Halifax, basically. His defense was it was just rough sex gone wrong. It was an accident. I had PTSD from that and moved her. It's this guy. It's just a head injury. Ugh. Also on Canadian Inmates Connect. Yeah, actually, Chris Garnier has a profile there. <laughs> Just don't not- all run at once, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> God. Um, so yeah, Kevin Cole was classified a dangerous offender, and he thankfully is not out yet, I should say. Um, he did try and appeal his indeterminate sentence just last year in 2022 stating that his addiction issues could be properly managed. Mm. The three panel judge basically said, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. They noted that Cole's drug use was quote, the source of his violent criminal conduct and had continued despite multiple treatments, despite multiple treatment interventions. So that means even after numerous attempts at drug treatment, he couldn't conquer those demons and he just continued to commit those violent crimes which is right which is the point of the dangerous offender thing that being labeled a dangerous offender isn't a punishment it's to protect the public in from people who can't control themselves and this guy has proven time and time again that it's a problem and he can't control it right and the articles i read mostly blamed a a cocaine addiction or like being on cocaine a lot wow and like i i know and know of many people who have done cocaine and lots of it and they've never done stuff like this mm-hmm. so i don't really think that's an excuse like drug use really yeah it lowers your inhibitions but that's not that's not, not normal behavior on not like pull someone into the bathroom at Canadian Tire. No, absolutely not. And clearly he was using some sort of injectables. Yeah. Uh, So, ugh. But the world isn't done with him because he's on Canadian Inmates Connect. He would like to hear from uh, specifically women. You ready for me to read his profile? Lucky gals. Yes, I am. Uh, Kevin Cowell, who is uh, living in the scenic Atlantic Penitentiary in New Brunswick, who was convicted of, oh, he actually, he he doesn't just say what he did. He says, shamefully sexual assault and bank robberies. His expected release date, of course, is indeterminate. And you'd like to hear from women. So here we go. Hey, my name is Kevin. I really enjoy, I really enjoy sports and physical fitness. I have the body type of a football player with wide shoulders and a muscular chest and arms. I like going to the gym and playing basketball or just shooting some hoops. I'm looking forward to getting out in the big yard this summer so that I can try and learn to play tennis. 
Surprisingly, they have a ping pong table, and I'm okay at playing that. I like to have fun and try not to take life too seriously. The majority of the time, I have a smile on my face, and I look for the humor and the weird and funny things life throws at me. Like my dangerous offender designation. (laughs) At the moment, I'm doing a correspondence course with Grace Pacific University. It's a great ad for them. Uh, it's, (laughs) It's a one year Christian counseling course. When I win my appeal in a few years, I'd like to volunteer or work at a drug and alcohol rehab facility. Yes, work with the vulnerable. Uh, I shouldn't be editorializing this. Let me just read it. I've been able to get and stay clean from drugs. He's in prison. Did you have a choice? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, it was way easier in prison, It's I've, I've realized. Um, after a real long battle with addiction, which included multiple arrests for bank robbery and led to decades of being in jail and prisons, they say you can only keep what you have by giving it away. So I'd like to be able to be positive and knowledgeable, to be a positive and knowledgeable support to others with addictions in the hopes of saving them from the hell so many addicts have already gone through. As you can imagine, prison can be quite lonely at times, and I'd love to meet someone I can write. It'd be great to get to know someone. I have a lot of fun and humor, not to mention positivity and love inside me to pass along. I have lots of time to write and lots to write about. So please write me. I'd love to get a letter. It comes off a little desperate at the end, but. And like, you, like, I, I read these before I look and see what they did. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that last line, like, kind of made me feel bad for him. Yeah. It's just like, like I'm lonely. Like, he's I, would lonely, like yeah. I would like to get a letter. Um, but like, I need to stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. It's no uh, sympathy. Well, I, it's easy to laugh at them and like cringe at them and stuff, but it's each one of these people, of course, has a story. Um, and if it was, now, I'm not going to say if it was a family member or a loved one, because I can't, I don't think anyone in my family would ever do this sort of thing. So and I take know, that even back. If, even if they did, I I will unfriend, uncousin, unbrother cousin. someone so quick. Like, <laughs> well, they did stuff like this. Yeah. And I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, wouldn't write to him, though. What's your other than coming across as a little like sad and lonely in his um, right up there? Any other takeaways from that? Well, first, they always find God. That's just it is true. Eh? Is there like what happens in prison that or, or does it just look good? Maybe it gets pity of if, if there's uh, someone on the parole board who's deeply religious. Maybe it helps. Well, and like textbook abuser, um, not only finding God, but the alarming sentence for me was when I win my appeal in a few years. Yeah, the power of positive thinking. You're pretty confident. Like mm-hmm. you're a dangerous offender. Do you know what that means? Mm-hmm. I and you were just laughed out of the parole board room. Mm-hmm. Like when I win my appeal, and then wants to go on to work with vulnerable people. I'm just like mm, you're not going to fool me. Yeah, when he, did, when he that, did with the last line. <laughs> yeah, that didn't that didn't sit well. I I get the idea. Like if if he is like it could look good. You're recovered. You're helping people, but. At the same time, I don't know if that's a, yeah, the type of job. You're not in jail for drug charges. Yeah, certainly. You're, yeah, you're a serial sex offender, mm. pretty much. <laughs> uh, um, his, th- like that last kind of couple sentences there, strike me as someone who doesn't get a lot of mail in prison. Like, I'm sure these people get letters, but 
his to me it comes across as like please someone out there like i'm so alone someone write me a letter could be just a a tactic maybe he has lots of women writing him and he Mm. just wants more Mm. like a true con like a con artist right to the end yeah like how bundy would like fake an injury to get a woman near his car yeah Hmm. well you could be right um these we just had gone through three insane stories that end with dating profiles there are infinite others uh tonight we did dangerous offenders when we do this again what should we do should we theme it like this we could i was gonna say maybe we should do like solely a one for women but i think there's only like four profiles yeah that could be on the site so um we'll we'll brainstorm why don't we just after scrolling through the site we could easily theme a few episodes on people whose pictures they're shirtless and like flexing and covered with tattoos do you want to do like shirtless tattoo flexors our we have our pick of the litter (laughs) because you just described about 85 percent of the profiles on there Um, which uh, there was i saw several profiles as well where the little picture they include is like they have like a handful of like bills (laughs) (laughs) i i don't really get that flex but whatever I'm probably and, not well, the target market. Clearly, they can use photos from before they were in prison. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, the one guy had a cat. And I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure you're not allowed cats in prison. Um, it What just popped in my head is I would also like to theme one on people in prison whose dating profiles talk about their uh, the music career they hope to launch when they get out of prison. I saw quite a few of those as uh, well. Th- yeah, I saw a few of those. Yeah. And- Well, they got lots of time to write, so. Yeah, certainly. Um, Well, I've heard from listeners the last time we did this, people enjoy hearing these these stories. So we'll keep doing them. And I know your TikToks have done amazing. The the lunatics on TikTok, which is what exists on there, um, they enjoy (laughs) hearing about this. They do. They, well, and can you blame them? And I said this last time, but some of those people are so funny. Like one commenter said, why write an inmate when you can get a a narcissistic psychopath just on Tinder? <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, they, they already got the oh market cornered. <laughs> yeah. They're like, these, these just sound like normal profiles. <laughs> that is too funny. <laughs> Uh, or yeah Um, i got a lot of they always find god (laughs) yeah it's so true well madeline this has been a blast uh we end this with what's coming next for you other than uh growing a healthy happy baby that we're going to celebrate this christmas what else is coming for you um i've got two videos that i just need to edit and publish i'm i'm still in that process (laughs) well we look forward to whatever it is you put together when you finally edit these get, videos you've been talking some, about for a month. What word am I looking for? I don't know. Inspiration. Yeah. Motivation. Uh, mo- that's it. But what's coming next is we're going whenever that t- when American Horror Story uh, comes on television, we're going to be September twentieth. Oh, that's just how many sleeps is that? That's only like twelve sleeps. Yeah, it's not. F- it's my brother's birthday also. So okay, okay. Well, uh, we'll share yeah. in. T- We'll share two weeks info from yesterday. It. Two weeks from yesterday at the time of recording. Uh, we'll share info on it when we do it. It'll probably be something that 
will stream on your YouTube channel probably, and I'll probably release them on the nighttime premium feed as podcasts is likely what we'll do. So if anyone listening who's into or plans to watch American Horror Story, um, watch it with Madeline and I. I haven't seen the show since like the first or second season, so I'm excited to see what I've been missing all these years. And if you're, if you're, I might rewatch my favorite seasons just just to get ready. Okay. Well, I'm excited for this. Um, but let's wrap this up, Madeline. It's as always. It's been a blast. It has been fun. It sh- it shouldn't have been, but it was. We're sick people. That's okay. <laughs> we we all have our vices. <laughs> I want to thank you for joining Madeline and I for this episode of Nighttime. Now, I'm going to start wrapping things up here, but before we part, let me give some thanks. First, a big thanks to Madeline for sharing another evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A big shout out to Monty Data, who contributes to the music for this episode, and a shout out to LJ from the Dystopian Simulation podcast, who provides my intro and outro voiceovers. But then lastly, and most importantly, a massive thanks goes out to each and every one of you listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. And on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Krista, Kitty, and Brooke, I sincerely appreciate you. For anyone else who'd like to support the show but isn't currently subscribed to the premium feed, let me tell you about it. A premium feed subscription costs just a couple dollars a month, and that money goes to fund the creation of the show. But more than that, a premium feed subscription gives you access to an ad-free, two-day early release date, and a full back catalog of nighttime episodes. If that sounds like something you're interested in, you can go premium right now at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And if for whatever reason you don't want to go premium, you can still help the show out by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting some like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas, if you want to give feedback on the show, or submit a question or comment to be aired and responded to in an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com contact. We hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let us know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.